The scripture reading today is from Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 7a. Hear the word of the Lord. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pats and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they will bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever thought to yourself, I want my old life back? I think a lot of people are feeling that way after a year and a half of life in a pandemic. The weird thing is that some people want their pre-pandemic life back just the way it was, out and about, going to work, seeing friends and family, coming to church, keeping busy all the time, no masks, no restrictions. While some other people are feeling the sand shifting between their feet a little too much too fast and they want life to go back to the way it's been during most of the pandemic. No commuting, working from home, church on the couch, more time with families, feeling safe in more controlled environments. Everyone has a different perspective on what we've just been through, and nobody is quite certain what's going to happen next. It's easy to see how people might want their old lives back, even if they want different things. There are, of course, other circumstances that make us wish for our old lives back. We wish that we could go back to life before a cancer diagnosis, or before a devastating loss, or before a professional setback. Maybe we wish we could be our younger, better-looking selves more carefree with more options in life. Maybe we wish for an old life when we were surrounded by family, filled with purpose and stronger in our faith. Everyone at some point thinks, I want my old life back. And it's usually when the present contains suffering and the future is threatening. Even when we are in a season of embarking on grand, good new adventures, if we are wise, we know that a time will come 
when the thought crosses our minds, I want my old life back. But of course, the truth is that we can't quite get our old lives back. We can't go back. So how do we move forward? What does God do when we hit the wilderness of suffering and when we face an utterly uncertain future? Let's pray for some answers to come through in the story of God's people. Living God, open to us your living word today. Rain down manna from heaven for our souls and provide the guidance we need to move forward with our lives. Help us to know that you have brought us this far. Help us to see the past for what it really was and build our trust in the future you have in store for us. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Well, it's summer, and if nothing else, I hope you have the chance to take your shoes off and feel the ground beneath your feet. Green grass, a hot sidewalk, garden dirt, beach sand. Today's story from Exodus almost pulls our shoes off and puts our feet on the edge of the desert with the people of Israel. We join them as they set off into the hot, dry wilderness with their children and their old folks and not a whole lot of supplies. And it's important to remember that when this took place, the Israelites were only about six weeks out of Egypt. They had been slaves there, held in captivity, utterly oppressed and abused by the Egyptian pharaoh. Through a series of miraculous events, which were directly the work of God, the Israelites were able to flee, led by Moses. They made it as far as the Red Sea, and then they thought they were going to die because the Egyptians were pursuing them, the sea was in front of them, and there was nowhere to go. But again, miraculously, God literally made a way out of no way and parted the Red Sea so they could cross it into safer territory. When the Egyptians tried to follow them, the sea came back together and swept the Egyptians away. The people of Israel experienced that firsthand. And they celebrated and sang and danced and praised God. But three days after the party was over, they had a problem. They traveled as far as a place called Mara, where there was no potable water. They complained to Moses, and God provided potable water. Then, after that scare, they came to a beautiful oasis. Our story begins when they leave the oasis called Elim and head out onto their wilderness journey again. It didn't take long for their food to run out, and there was no obvious place or way to get more food. This is when they started complaining that they wanted their old life back. 
Just six weeks after escaping the brutality of Egypt, the people told Moses and Aaron that Egypt was starting to look pretty good compared to the wilderness. Sure, they were slaves back there, but they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from. In fact, they complained that they wished they had died in Egypt rather than to be in this predicament. This is where we need to stop and carefully dissect the people of Israel's desire to get their old lives back. There's more to this than garden variety whining. First, we have to acknowledge that Israel's immediate need for food was real. They had mouths to feed, and they were in the middle of nowhere long before delivery drones. It was okay for them to ask where dinner was supposed to come from. But here's what they did instead. Listen again to these two problem-packed verses. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. The first thing they did was to personalize the problem. They turned their immediate physical discomfort into a referendum on Moses' leadership. When there is an absence of trust in a community, functional problems become political conflict. And in this case, the absurdity of their complaint was not just that they wanted their old lives back, but they actually wanted their old leader back. Turning their real physical need into a dramatic personal and political attack, they suggested that it would have been better to die under Pharaoh than to be led by Moses. Well, this brings us to the if-only problem. So many negative, self-centered patterns of thought begin with if only. And this isn't the if only of genuine humility and confession. This is an if only which second guesses God. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. This is an if only which assumes that death would be better than a life with problems. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but death is not better than a life with problems. A life with problems can still be a life journeying toward the promised land. A life in the wilderness can still be a life that wakes up to manna in the morning. Our Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Take as many breaths as God will give you and don't take them for granted. The next big problem with the Israelites' desire to get their old lives back 
has to do with how they're thinking about their old lives. It's very easy to take one aspect of our lives in the past and romanticize it to represent the whole. Ah, oh, we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. Flesh pots means meat, by the way. Oh, we had meat and bread. Wasn't that awesome? Uh, no. Actually, it was not. Do you remember that you were so busy making endless quantities of bricks in the hot sun for no pay that you barely had time to sit down and eat? Do you remember when the Egyptian authorities killed your baby sons? Do you remember crying out to God for that chapter of life to end? For us, this is a powerful picture of self-deception about the past. Our old lives may have had very real experiences of physical comfort and satisfaction, but we need to ask ourselves if those experiences were healthy or if they were part of the bondage to sin. At the very least, we need to ask ourselves if those experiences were worth being the center of our lives and all the time and attention we gave them. I think of my friends battling addictions when I read this verse. In the old life, one may have had one's fill of many things, but still have been captive to the ways of death. In the old life, we may have been distracted by the world or taken our blessings for granted. The new life needs to hold different sustenance. I think this is especially relevant as we enter a new season of the pandemic, which as recently as last week, I might have described as post-pandemic life. As I mentioned earlier, some people want their pre-COVID lives back completely, and some people want their COVID quarantine control back. But either way, were those old lives really so great and so perfect? Before we rush back to anything, let's pause and think critically about what we really want back for ourselves, for our kids, and for our church. I may want the friends from my old life back, but I don't really want my old calendar back. I don't want slave-driving kids' sports back. And I don't want five-night meetings a week back. At the same time, while I may want to work from home occasionally and have more family dinners, I also don't want to go back to four people who never leave the house. And I don't want to go back to not seeing you on Sundays. And for the record, I don't want to go back to an America that has nothing better to do than sit around on social media turning every single news story into a culture war. A 24-year-old is never an archetype of any, everything that is wrong with society or everything that is right with society, even if that 24-year-old is a famous athlete. 
A 24-year-old athlete is one person in a spotlight for better or for worse. But I digress. We are people. And like the Israelites, we often cannot see beyond our present suffering, whether it is large or small, physical or psychological. The Israelites said to Moses, Ugh, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. When they were hungry, they could only see more hunger in their future. They could imagine death, but they couldn't imagine manna. They couldn't remember the huge miracles God had done for them just in the past six weeks. They couldn't trust that the wilderness journey had a destination. Even when we have been thrust into the wilderness against our will, the wilderness journey does have a destination. That destination is not defined by our experience. It is defined by God. The fulcrum of this text and the turning point in our own wilderness journeys is the switch from our perspective to God's perspective. After the journey began and after the complaining, then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day, the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. Enough. What God provides will be enough. Give us this day our daily bread. Now make no mistake, the people of Israel are still going to be in the wilderness the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, and the next several decades. But God has an entirely unexpected solution on the horizon. God is going to provide for the community's very real needs, and this stuff he gives them to eat is going to be like nothing they have ever eaten before. It will be weird, but God's provision is enough. The new life will be different than the old life, but the enslaver is gone and the people are on their way home. You may remember that Moses and the people who started the journey with him were not the ones who entered the promised land. The reasons for that unfold in the rest of the book of Exodus but remember something, Joshua and the brave ones that did cross into the promised land, they had a mom, they had moms, and they had dads. The generation of leaders who did cross all the way over were brought to that point by the generations that only made it part of the way. And God was with both generations. They were being led by God for a purpose, and there was no getting their old lives back. What mattered to God was their faithfulness along the way. The people of Israel often failed at this, as do we. After the Lord told Moses that he would rain bread from heaven, the Lord said, I will test them. 
whether they will follow my instructions or not. We might prefer to overlook this part, but there is testing in the wilderness. At first, it might seem cruel that God would test people who are already in unfamiliar territory doing hard things. But it is precisely God's instructions and expectations which can snap us out of our own myopic self-focus and align our perspective with his. God didn't just give manna. God gave manna with a system for collecting it and sharing it. The system was that anyone who tried to be greedy and take more than their daily bread would find it spoiled. Every single day, the people's dependence on God was reinforced. And every single day for decades, God's miraculous providence was shown to the people. God even provided for rest and a Sabbath. Because on the sixth day, the manna they collected would be enough for that day and the next. I suppose that over time, the people took manna from heaven for granted. And we know that they kept on complaining. What do we take for granted when we are in the wilderness? What has God provided that's right there under our noses the whole time, even when we're complaining? Maybe it's good medical care or a good family to walk with us. Maybe it's a loyal spouse, a safe home to retreat to, enough resources to share. Whatever it is, I guarantee you it's probably more than the Israelites had. So look for the manna that's already there, even in the worst of your wilderness. It's a sign of God's providence and a motivator to keep going. In the evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you complaining against the Lord. He hears you. We, of course, have the benefit of hindsight on the Israelites' wilderness wanderings. We know that God can give bread from heaven and water from rocks, providentially ordering creation to give life where there is none. We know that God can lead and guide, test and admonish across miles and decades of wilderness, not from caprice or cruelty, but with love and purpose. As Christians, we know that the death-defeating, life-giving God sent his son to face the wilderness of hell for us so we would not ultimately perish in its wasteland, even if we wander for a while. Life will call each of us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, some more than others. But we will fear no evil because he is with us. We believe in a God who is constantly bringing something out of nothing. He brings meaning to our desolation, comfort in our suffering, growth in struggle, and healing in the most unexpected ways.
Jesus freed us from bondage to sin and death. And now we are on the long journey of becoming more like him until we are with him forever. He is the way, the truth, and the new life. So, do you really want your old life back? Or do you want more of the new life in Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, who hears us crying in the wilderness, open our eyes to see the manna right in front of us. Forgive us when we forget how far we have come with your help. When we look back longingly at the past, help us not to romanticize the bondage we were in. When we struggle in the present, help us not to blame and complain. And most importantly, please keep us focused on the future you have in store for us on the other side of the wilderness. Help us to walk with Jesus all the way there. In his name we pray. Amen.